Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello and welcome to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. I am Jim Morrow. I'm a family doctor in Cumming, Georgia with offices in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. Uh, I'm part of Village Medical, uh, formerly Mara Family Medicine, but now part of a nationwide practice, Village Medical, that you won't see a lot of great change with unless you're in the 70 or so and older year range. And if you get sick and you're in the hospital and you need things that uh, are more intense than other people might need, you would find a tremendous benefit, I think, from the fact that we are now Village Medical. I think the quality of care and the the outline of services that are available is just fantastic. I'm very excited about that. So I'm also happy to be uh, able to continue to do the podcast. I appreciate that very much. And uh, today's episode 69. So we've been doing this for a bit, I guess it's two and a half years or so, something in the neighborhood. Um, So I'm here in my not so lavish office studio doing these remotely still. Uh, coming up with topics every week is a little bit of a challenge, and I've got one today that I think is interesting, at least it is to me, hope it will be to you. Uh, but I would encourage anyone who might have an idea for a topic, please send me an email if you would. You can send it to toyourhealthmd at gmail.com, and I'll get that, and I would really appreciate topic ideas or comments or anything else you might want to give me, good, bad, or indifferent. I appreciate the input very much. I've been doing most of these starting with a COVID update of some sort, and I don't have much today except to say that if you haven't been vaccinated, please get vaccinated. But uh, last time I was talking about how the vaccine immunity is different from the immunity from having had COVID, and I misspoke, and I want to clear that up. Uh, I said that when you get the vaccine, that the cells that are created, the memory cells are created, are in your cell and can notice when the virus is there, that's not true. They're floating around in your bloodstream. And what happens is when the virus infects the cell, it leaves fragments outside the cell. And then these memory cells will see that and recognize that as foreign. And they will fight to uh, kill the virus and get rid of the, uh, the virus that way. And I just misspoke again because you can't kill a virus because they're not alive. And this, it goes on and on. But at any rate, you get my point, I hope. The vaccine immunity is better, longer lasting, and better immunity in general than what you get from the disease. And plus, if you go and get your antibodies measured at a a, a lab and they say, yes, you're positive for antibodies, that doesn't mean anything. We've got lots of cases where people have positive antibodies and they get COVID right on the heels of that anyway. So having the antibody doesn't mean they're functioning, doesn't mean you're immune. Get a vaccine. So today I want to talk about atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation is a very common condition, and we're going to start this off by telling a story, and then we're going to talk about atrial fib. So about three months ago, at three in the morning, I was in bed asleep, and I hear this clomping around the bedroom, and it's my wife, Peggy, who's been to the bathroom, and I said, I was a little, it was different from the usual sound. I said, what are you doing? And she replied with, I'm trying to get back a little bit. I said, what? I'm trying to get back a little bit. 
and my eyes are wide open. I'm wide awake. And I jump up and she was clomping around the bedroom because she could not walk well. She would, had left side, left-sided leg weakness, facial droop, tongue deviation, obviously trouble talking, and she was having a stroke. And they always say that the thing that will get you out of bed fastest is the sound of a dog about to throw up, and that'll certainly do it. But and sound you bigger a little bit, we'll do it too. So I jumped up. Um, she could not get back up on the bed, which is not a high bed, but she couldn't raise her rear end up enough to get on the bed. And she was kind of laid flat back on the bed with her feet on the floor. And I moved her legs up on the bed, I grabbed an aspirin bottle, gave her an aspirin, told her to chew that up. That's critical if you're ever in that situation, regardless of anything else, have them chew an aspirin. And um, did a quick exam and found what I said, left-sided leg weakness, facial droop tongue deviation, couldn't talk well. Well, she had what's called a wake-up symptom. In other words, when she went to bed, she was fine, but when she woke up, she had these symptoms. And because the timing of things like clot-busting drugs and that kind of thing that they give for heart attacks and strokes is very critical. You can only do it in the first couple of hours, I think it is, of the symptoms starting. If it's a, if it's a wake-up symptom, you have to assume it started right after they went to sleep. So I knew she wasn't a candidate for that. So Living in Blue Ridge, Georgia, we came down to Northside Forsyth and coming about an hour and 15 minutes. Unless it's three in the morning, you can make it in about 55 minutes. And so we got down here and she went through the protocol in the ER and they were wonderful and had numerous doctors see her. And the next afternoon she was fine. Symptoms were all gone. And so she had what's called a TIA, a transient ischemic attack, uh, which is symptoms of a stroke that resolve within 24 hours. So she was fine, but what they found in the long run to make a 30-day story a little bit shorter is that she had developed atrial fibrillation. And so they put her on blood thinners and they put a loop recorder in her, just in the upper part of the breast there at the chest wall, which measures and monitors your heartbeat all the time and can be left in for years. And the idea was that she had COVID when I did, because she did back in August. And the idea at first was that COVID had caused this, and perhaps with time it wouldn't happen again. Well, it did, and so COVID didn't have anything to do with it. She just has atrial fib, and it happens that way sometimes, just out of the blue, and there's no explanation for it. But that made me today want to talk about atrial fibrillation. So you've heard it called atrial fib, AFib, atrial fibrillation, a lot of things, but it's an irregularity about the heartbeat that often has with it a very rapid rhythm they can lead, this can lead to blood clots in the heart. Now, the AFib itself increases the risk of stroke, obviously, but also the risk of heart failure and other heart-related conditions if it's not controlled. And during atrial fibrillation, the heart's upper chambers beat chaotically and irregular, irregularly. That's the fibrillation part. So if you look at the heart, you've got four chambers, two on the top, two on the bottom. The two chambers, the atria on the top, pump and when they contract they pump blood down into the bottom chambers the ventricles and the ventricles pump and one pumps blood to the lungs and the other one pumps blood to the entire body and it's quite a chore for something to do to the entire body but it obviously in a healthy heart does a very good job but if the top two chambers are not contracting rhythmically together like you've seen hearts do in in either real life or in videos or in uh, animation, 
then they just basically tremor and there's no contraction. And when that happens, the blood can pool in some of the little crevices of the atria of the upper chambers. Pooling in those areas, if you're not taking medication to prevent it, can and almost always will cause a little blood clot. Well, if you stay in atrial fibrillation and they never contract normally, again, that's not much of a problem because the clots just stay in the little tissues. But if at some point you go from atrial fib back into what's called normal sinus rhythm or just a normal rhythm, then the top chambers will contract. And when they do, one of those little clots, one of those little pieces of blood clot will go into the ventricles below. And if it gets into the left ventricle, next thing that happens, it's squirted out and it can go somewhere in your body and block up an artery. And if that happens in the brain, you have a stroke. So the risk is very real. And the risk is uh, one that nobody wants to take, obviously. So for a lot of people, atrial fib doesn't have any symptoms. Peggy didn't have any symptoms. She didn't know when she had atrial fib. But it can, it can, in some people, cause a very fast pounding heartbeat. And when you get that, your heart rate might get up to 160, 180, some crazy number like that. And when it's that fast, it just doesn't pump a lot. So you'll get short of breath. You'll feel weak and so forth. Now, these symptoms and episodes can come and go, or they can be persistent. And although atrial fibrillation in itself isn't usually life-threatening, it is a serious medical condition that has to be diagnosed and monitored and controlled if you have a high heart rate, and certainly things need to be done to prevent a bad outcome. So the treatment might include meds, medications to take. It might include a therapy to reset the heart rhythm and even a catheter procedure, which is like a heart cath, to block faulty heart signals. And a person with AFib may also have what's called atrial flutter, which is a different arrhythmia. It's slightly different from atrial fib, uh, but it also has associated with it a high heart rate. And sometimes these symptoms will go away on their own and people will never have them again. And sometimes they become more persistent and can be a larger problem. Now, the types of atrial fib are the occasional or what we call paroxysmal, means it comes and goes, AFib. And that means exactly that. It can come and go any number of times and can stay for any length of time and it can be variable and you can never know when it's going to happen. Or you might have persistent atrial fib, which it just goes into atrial fib and it doesn't go back to normal on its own. And if a person has uh, these symptoms, then a cardioversion might be planned. And a cardioversion is an electronic electrical shock. You've seen them use paddles in CPR, and it's basically that. They take you to the hospital, they knock you out, and they hit you with the paddles to reset your heart and get it to go back into normal rhythm. And it very often will go back into a normal rhythm, but unfortunately, it will very often go right back into atrial fib. Uh, the success rate for that long term, in my experience with patients, is not great. It just doesn't seem to take very well. Then there's long-standing persistent atrial fib, which is where you have atrial fib continuously, and it lasts longer than a year. And then there's permanent atrial fib, which is exactly what it sounds like. The regular, the regular rhythm just can't be restored and medications are needed to control the rate and to prevent blood clots. So how do you know when to see a doctor? Not everybody wakes up at three in the morning and can't talk or walk. 
So if you have any signs or symptoms of atrial fib, go see your doctor. And those symptoms might be a feeling of palpitations in your chest or, you know, an irregular heartbeat. It might be shortness of breath. It might be weakness. It might be inability to exert like you once could and so forth. So that's important. Now, if you have chest pain, obviously you might be having a heart attack, which is a whole different animal, but you still want to be seen. So I tell people, if you're concerned, get seen by somebody. If you're not concerned, don't worry about it, but don't ignore things. And I've said it on here many times and I'll say it again. And I preach to people all day, not to say the five most dangerous words in the English language, which are maybe it will go away. So if you feel that don't ignore it, make a phone call. I tell men all the time, if you're married, just tell your wife. That's all you got to do Just tell your wife. You tell your wife, satellites are linking up and phone calls are being made and appointments are being scheduled. And that's good. <clears throat> so what causes atrial fib? Well, to understand the causes, it helps to understand how the heart beats electrically, what happens to make it beat. So the, the heart has four chambers. I mentioned two on top, two on the bottom. And in the upper right chamber, the right atrium, is a group of cells called the sinus node, and that's basically the battery in your heart. It's the heart's natural pacemaker. It produces the electrical signal that makes each heartbeat happen. So in a regular rhythm, the signal travels from the sinus node, from the battery, down through the, or through the two upper chambers, and the signal passes through a pathway at the intersection of the upper and lower, and then it goes into lower chambers and makes them contract. So in atrial fib, the signals in the upper chamber are chaotic. It's not just a boom, boom, boom. It just fires and stops and fires and stops and it can, it quivers and it makes it just do exactly that. The two chambers will quiver. And so you end up with this irregular rhythm that very often gets very, very fast. It can be, like I said earlier, it can be up to 180 beats a minute. And Obviously, 180 beats a minute is not sustainable. I mean, you get worn out if nothing else. Your heart will. And you'll be very short of breath, and it's something you're going to notice. You're, you're not going to miss that. So as far as the causes, the, the problems associated with atrial fib are caused by problems with the heart structure. Okay, that's the most common thing. Um, it might be an enlargement here and there, and it might be an, uh, an electrical abnormality, it might be you have coronary disease and you had a heart attack and it, it knocked out part of that uh, sinus node or those little nerves or wires, if you will, that, that go down through the heart. Uh, you could have a congenital heart defect that would not give you trouble until later in life. You can have valve problems. It can be either congenital or acquired through infection or high blood pressure or other things that make the valves not work right. And high blood pressure by itself is a reason. You can have lung problems, whether it's chronic lung disease, COPD, emphysema, those things from smoking and so forth. Smoking alone can cause it, even without lung disease. Uh, sleep apnea can cause it. Untreated sleep apnea, hopefully. If you do treat your sleep apnea, then your body doesn't know you had sleep apnea, so you're not going to develop problems with it. A high thyroid level can cause it. Stimulants and drugs really high amounts of caffeine, but certainly illicit drugs, cocaine and such that are stimulants can cause this and can give you quite amount of trouble. Excess alcohol causes it. And of course, like I mentioned, tobacco, and then there are viral infections. 
we've always seen that a, people can develop what's called a viral cardiomyopathy. That's a condition where the heart doesn't beat as well after a virus infection because the heart's been infected. And we see that with COVID. So you do see people with COVID who are fine, except their heart doesn't beat as well after COVID. And if that happens, it seems that that's something that's not going to come back because we've seen a lot of people with it. We've not seen it come back. So it's important to, to know if that's the case so that you can be aware if you do have atrial fib, you might have weakness and not have atrial fib. You might have atrial fib and not have weakness, but you just need to know. So if you're having any issues again, make a phone call. And then some people who have atrial fib have no known heart problems, no heart damage, no heart disease, no high blood pressure. They're not smokers. They don't drink to excess. They hadn't had problems. And that's what Peggy is. She just, Honestly, the best description for her is hers is shit happens and it does. And that's just the way of the world. That's, that's what happens as part of being a human person is it's a, a condition that can just happen out of the blue. So if you are an older person, then you're more likely to develop atrial fib. If you have heart disease, anybody with heart disease, whether it's the things I mentioned, valve problems or a congenital thing or blockages because of heart disease or anything, then you have an increased risk of atrial fib. If you have high blood pressure and thyroid conditions, it's important to control these. If you control these, you're not going to end up with atrial fib from that. And so that's important to do. If you're obese, it makes your heart beat harder and demands more of your heart. So be less obese. I refer you back to the podcast on um, dieting, you know, eat less food. That works. And some people have a family history. We do see sometimes in a family line that people will just have a long history of atrial fib in their family. And it's usually if that's the case, they have some other things that go with that, but you can just get it because you have family history. So the, the complications from AFib are mainly two. One is with the rapid rate. Then you can have the shortness of breath and fatigue, and you have to do something about that. <clears throat> and the other, really, the, the biggest thing is the risk of stroke. And because during atrial fib, you can and almost always do have blood pooling in these areas. The blood sits there. It's not moving. And just like you see, if you cut yourself, it's not moving at clots. It goes back into sinus rhythm, and when that atrium contracts, that little piece of clot goes into the ventricle, and they can land somewhere in the brain. Now, it can land elsewhere, but the odds are if it lands elsewhere, it's not going to cause a major problem. But if it lands in the brain, it's going to cause a problem. might be lucky. might be a less than 24-hour problem. And all that does is scare you to death. But it absolutely can be a problem. So almost everyone under the age of 85 or so who has atrial fib ends up taking medication to prevent those clots. In the past, uh, the main medicine that we use for that was Coumadin and people would take Coumadin and if they ate a green salad, their Coumadin level would change and they would have to change their dose. And it, it, it's hectic as it can be. I've had people that took two pills on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and a half a pill on Thursday and a whole pill on the remaining day. And it was just crazy. And now there are these new uh, novel 
anticoagulant medications, uh, most commonly Eliquis or Xarelto. Uh, Pradax is another one. But Eliquis is the one that's probably used the most for atrial fib. And they're wonderful in that there's no monitoring. There's no concern about your diet or anything or activity. You just take the medicine twice a day and you do extremely well. The problem with Eliquis right now is it's still brand name. It hasn't been out that long. And so it is, uh, it's pricey. There's no question about it. It's very pricey. If you don't have a great insurance plan, it can be several hundred dollars a month. And that's a lot. And most of the people that have this are older. So that presents a problem, uh, a prescribing problem, because it's very difficult to give somebody a prescription that you know they can't go fill. Uh, but that's what it takes is that anticoagulant to prevent those clots in the atria so that when you go back into sinus rhythm, and most people do periodically, then you don't have some terrible outcome. Uh, I was asked, I was interviewing a PA several years ago now, and they asked me, what are you afraid of? And man, immediately, I knew what to say. I'm afraid of a stroke. I am afraid of a stroke. I do not want a stroke. I don't want to be dependent. I don't want to be unable to do and to do four. And boy, I'm afraid of a stroke. And I think most people would would say that's one of the things, if not the thing they're afraid of. It certainly is for me. So preventively, in order to prevent atrial fib, and in a case like, like Peg's, I don't think you could have prevented that because she doesn't have all these risk factors. She's not like me. She's not fat and out of shape. And so she doesn't have that. But if you live a healthy lifestyle, wow, there's a, there's a podcast right there. Let's live a healthy lifestyle. If you do that, you're going to be less likely to have atrial fib because you're not going to have all the things going on that might lead to that. So eat a good diet, get regular exercise and maintain a healthy weight. Don't smoke. Avoid or limit alcohol and caffeine and manage your stress. <laughs> and if there's another podcast, I need to do that too. Managing your stress, you know, and intense stress and anger can cause heart rhythm problems. We've seen instances where people had an argument or an episode that happened and they got very, very upset and it can send you into either atrial fib or some of the other heart rhythms, arrhythmias. And, and it's, it's a very real thing. But the main thing, if you're going to try during your lifetime, if you're a young person, I hope listening to this, and you want to try to avoid things like atrial fib is be healthy. Don't be overweight. Don't be diabetic. Don't be hypertensive. Don't smoke. Don't drink to excess. Boom. Then you're doing everything you can do to prevent that and a world of other things as well. But you're doing everything you can do. And if it happens, at least you can say, I did everything I could. And I think in a lot of instances, that's as much as you can ask for. So in a fairly short podcast, I'm not going to keep y'all long today. Um, that's what I have to say about atrial fib. But I have one other thing I want to talk about very, very briefly. For the past nine years, right at nine years, Peggy, my wife, and I have had a charity here in Forsyth County where we raised money to provide the funds for the local county school to pr provide internet in the homes of kids and students that didn't have internet in their home and to provide devices to those kids that didn't have devices, obviously to get online and to do 
homework and research and so forth, because even nine years ago, it was so important that they be able to do that because assignments were on the line and obviously researches and so forth. So when, uh, when we got married nine years ago ish, um, Peggy said, Hey, we should do something for the people in the County. And this became what we wanted to do. So we started a golf tournament and did that for several years and we raised a pretty good amount of money. Um, and after about six years, the superintendent here in South County said at one of our golf tournaments <clears throat> that every kid in the County that needed internet at home or a device had it because of the support that we had gleaned for our fundraiser, which is the Forsyth BYOT benefit. Now BYOT in Forsyth County means bring your own technology. They've been known nationally and internationally for this program of theirs, bring your own technology where they encourage kids to bring devices, computers, laptops to school, and they taught them to use them responsibly. And I think it's a wonderful thing because they're going to use them. It's going to be their world. They may as well learn how to use them responsibly. And they've been doing that for a long time. And like I said, known internationally even for that. So we started the Forsyth BYOT benefit. And in nine years, we've raised right at $440,000. And we're just very, very proud of that. It's just, a, it's a phenomenal thing. And if you think about nine years ago, it was important. If you think about two years ago, how much more important it became. And we're very proud of that. But we're also happy to say that uh, this year, some things have happened and some grants have been given, and they're going to have plenty of money to do this for the foreseeable future. And Peg has retired with me um, selling more family medicine, becoming village medical. Uh, she's no longer doing the marketing, so she's had a chance to retire and take up art, which is her new passion, which I think is phenomenal. I'm thrilled about that. And so we're going to pass the torch of the Forsyth BYOT benefit onto the Forsyth County Educational Foundation. They were presented with that idea by the uh, superintendent, Dr. Jeff Bearden, and they voted unanimously. And we thought that was wonderful that they wanted to start doing what we've been doing, trying to raise money. Now they're going to do it for a different purpose, I think, uh, because again, some grants that they've been able to get are going to take care of the needs we were serving. But we're just, we've been thrilled to death to be part of that and to be able to do that. And it's just been a phenomenal thing for us it's, uh, it's one of those things that you go, you might go your whole life <laughs> and never have an opportunity to do that and to change kids' lives like we were able to. It's just truly been great. And I appreciate her uh, at a, <laughs> a card game over a, a glass of bourbon or a martini nine years ago saying to me, you know, what are you doing for the community? I didn't have a good answer. And this came from that. So we're very happy about that. And we're thrilled that they're going to start doing that now. So uh, if you do hear about uh, BYOT in Forsyth County, uh, you can rest assured these kids are going to have the devices and the internet that it takes to do the kind of work that they need to do to be productive. And we're excited about that. So as usual, in uh, two weeks, uh, I'll be doing another podcast. And as usual, I have no idea what I might do it on. So again, if you have a topic you'd like to hear something about, please send me an email to your health MD at gmail.com. And so for now, that is to your health.